Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or beginning of the gospel account. Thank you, Ben. Served us well today. Thank you. That was a joy, especially leading our kiddos. Wasn't that a joy? My goodness. My goodness. What a gift. <clears throat> you know those stories you tell about when you were a kid? I don't know. To me, it was like nuts today getting out of the door. <laughs> Uh, and just getting here, and they're going to tell this story. It was great. When we were a kid, we got to sing these songs, and I was like, yeah, that almost did not happen. That was very <laughs> close. John chapter 1, verses 9 through uh, 13 will be our primary text. I'd just like to read that uh, for us before we uh, go further. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here, by the way. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13 read this way. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It is one of these uh, ideas that gets tossed around quite a bit, a different experiences or moments in your life, perhaps even now, begin to sort of play on the, the screen of your consciousness. It reminds you of specific moments, specific people, perhaps, or situations when vulnerability was not a good idea, and other times when it was really the thing that changed the relationship for good. See, vulnerability is all about exposure. Writer Andy Crouch even defines vulnerability as the exposure to meaningful risk. That's because when vulnerability, when we're, when we're vulnerable, we disclose something about ourselves that otherwise is not known. We share perhaps a weakness or a pain or a bit of information that's otherwise hidden about our identity, something that would not be immediately apparent to those around us, or something about our story that you would not know unless I told you, or I would not know unless you told me. And sometimes that information, that emotion, that story is really well received well-received and especially reciprocated vulnerability, when someone returns in vulnerability with you, that always leads to intimacy. It always leads to a kind of closeness with someone that perhaps we didn't have before or a deeper understanding of the relationship or intimacy that you uh, understood previously. However, that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes you're vulnerable and it's ignored. It's dismissed or it's even abused. In other words, it's used against you. And these stories begin to teach us the value or really even like when and where and how or if to be vulnerable at all. See, when that happens, when vulnerability is not reciprocated or when it's just dismissed or not treated well, that always leads to isolation. So reciprocated vulnerability or at least honored vulnerability leads to intimacy. And when it's rejected or not returned in kind, it leads to isolation. We feel alone. Talking about then and being vulnerable, it's really interesting because it's almost like popular today. It's almost in vogue to be vulnerable, even when you have no reason to be vulnerable, just being vulnerable. I kid you not, if you want to play a game, any of these dating shows or any of the, just count the number of times they say vulnerability in them, right? The Bachelor drives me crazy with this. Drives me crazy, right? Laura can testify. I'm just sitting there going, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. You're not being vulnerable. You're being vulnerable. Everybody's being vulnerable. This is like the only thing we're even talking about. So it's this really big topic today. That was a really big theme that we see every. It's something we see all around us when we open the script. After all, he's the son of God, right? 
He's eternal and omnipotent. God is perfect and powerful. He's not weak. He's not exposed to risk, is he? Well, I think that's actually what the Advent story is all about. I think that's precisely what John is speaking about in our passage today, and that's what I'd like to talk about. I want to talk about the vulnerability of the Son of God. And to do that, we'll follow John's words in the way that he's organized his thought around this, continuing his theme or conversation around this um, uh, picture of light, this metaphor of light. We'll look at the nature of Jesus' vulnerability when he says that light has come into the world. We'll look at the cost of Jesus' vulnerability when he says the world didn't know him and people didn't receive him. And then we'll look at the fruit of Jesus' vulnerability. So the nature, the cost, and then the fruit. In other words, that we're children of God, born not of the will of man, but of the will of God. And John's retelling the first advent of Christ. It's all about, I think it's focused on this. It's focused on the Son of God's vulnerability. He takes on flesh. He enters into the world in a way that he had not before. And as we consider his exposure to meaningful risk, we'll see how our own moral formation, I think, is shaped by our understanding of Christ's arrival into the world. In other words, whatever we believe about the advent, whatever we believe about the way that the Son of God entered the human story is usually the way we believe we're supposed to enter the story, the way we're supposed to inhabit the world. In other words, we'll not only see that the light has come, but we're compelled to walk in it. We're compelled to be people of the light. And it's to that end, I really want to be available to God's spirit today and for your good and his glory. So let's pray, ask for his help. Father, as always, we're going to come to pages of scripture, ideas that unless you reveal its truth, unless you put together how it connects to our own story, our own faith, belief, our own formation, our own habits and behavior, unless you do that, we're not going to figure it out. This is not a race of intellect. This is not a competition of our own moral merit and ability. This is about your grace. Opening your word and understanding it is just as much about grace as salvation itself. And so I pray for my friends, my sisters, my brothers. I pray for myself that as we open your word, would you graciously illuminate the script amidst a lot of the joy and sentiment and hustle and perhaps even sorrow and lament of this season. Would you speak to us first and foremost about yourself, who you are, what you are like. And as we gain a right and accurate and joyful picture of you, would you help us to see who we are and how then we should live for your glory, our good we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's keep in mind, John's already told us a few things that he keeps building on. Uh, he's already told us a couple things about the, the life of Jesus. This is a gospel account, which means it's a biography or a collection of stories, ideas, teachings about the life of Jesus. And in verses 1 through 5, he's brought us back to the moment of creation, if you remember. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The word, John says, at the beginning, spoke light into existence, spoke everything into existence, and said, the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verses 6 through 8, remember we were introduced to this very awkward text, almost like an intrusion, where uh, John introduces us to another man named John, who popularly was known as John the Baptizer, to bear witness about the light. He wasn't the light, but he came to prepare the way of the Lord. He was supposed to get everyone ready, everyone's attention fixed, to see and savor the coming of Christ. So the word, the light shines in the darkness. At the beginning, a man sent by God said, hey, the light is here. And now what are we told? Well, the light is coming. 
The, the word is coming into the world. So John continues his Advent story this way. Look again at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So John says a few things here that help us understand the nature of Jesus' vulnerability. Notice first he says that this is the true light. It means real or genuine. But it could also mean ultimate. Likely John is transitioning from the fact that John the baptizer, who we just looked at in verses 6 through 8, uh, was not the light, but was simply a witness to the light. Remember that, that sort of piece where John was like, I'm not Jesus, I'm not Jesus, I'm not Jesus. I'm just here to tell you about him, right? So the writer is likely playing off of that, but John is probably also locating us in history. Now, though John is most recent witness of the light, baptizer that is, generations of men and women bore witness to the promise that a Messiah would come. They all spoke truth. They all lived with faith. They all sheds people amidst his people the, throughout all of history, through his people, for his people, amidst his people, the moments and seasons and sorrows and celebrations of his life. This is what God is doing. This is who I am. He's continually revealing himself to his people. So you see, Jesus is the true light, not because all other lights are false, but because all other lights are pointing to him. So this is the way that John is using true light. So when we see that, that he says that this is the true light, he's not saying don't believe anything you've heard before. No, he is saying that this is the answer to everything you've heard before. This is the fulfillment. This is the fullness. This is the ultimate picture of everything that you've heard about him. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So in, in other words, all of the prophets weren't wrong. Just all of the prophets were anticipating the true and better prophet, Jesus Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in lockstep with John, who says all these other lights were good, but they couldn't shine like this before. They were actually just pointing in a particular direction to this, Jesus, the true light. Are you picking up what the scriptures are throwing down? That everything we read up until Jesus is this wonderful signpost, just like John, preparing the way for the Messiah. Jesus, then, is the true vulnerability of God. To be sure, we learned other things about God through history, but in Jesus we see what no other sign, no other word, no disclosure of God. Here, this is who he is. The other thing John mentions in verse 9 is that this true light gives light to everyone. Well, what does that mean? Well, this could mean a few different things. And whatever it means, it has this close association with this idea of world that he's talking about. Who's he talking about? In many instances, a world in the Greek is this word cosmos. Now, John uses it two different ways, neutrally and negatively. And I'm very sorry, but he never uses it positively. That's a little bit disappointing. <laughs> Even when it sounds positive, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he's actually talking more about God's love as opposed to the world <laughs> and our, our, really our receptivity or the merit that we have in the world for the affection of God. So he uses the word negatively in places like John 21 when he says that if we kept writing everything that Jesus did, we couldn't fill the entire world, or we would fill rather more than the entire world with it. It's just a big space. It's a neutral idea. When he uses it negatively, he's not speaking about the universe or the physical matter of the world, but rather he's speaking about what scholar D.A. Carson calls the created order. He's talking about fallen humanity, fallen human beings, and human affairs. So what's all this have to do with the vulnerability of Jesus, or the, tr the, tr the true nature of Jesus' vulnerability? Well, it tells us that his light, his truth, his divine intimacy, 
His knowledge is not exclusive. The light of Christ is, in other words, for all kinds of people. And he would prove this by entering into a created order of fallen men and women, of broken systems. As the result, or as the the ultimate self-disclosure of God, Jesus would make himself known up close, not far off, in the mess and not only in comfort. He doesn't just show up in these sterilized environments of religiosity. He shows up in the world, into this broken world order. And he would show up not with or for those whom we would expect, right? I mean, he showed up for us after all. These are not the people we would expect to be on Jesus' team. He'd be like, yo, there's a lot better people you could go against. I love y'all, right? But we're all pretty messy. I think this is why we're attracted to one another. (laughs) See, the light would shine for all different kinds of people in a broken world and not the religious sort, right? We even have this prevalence to think that some people are varsity and some people are JV and some people are really close to God and others are far off. But really, it's like a bunch of broken and messy people that somehow have found the genuine So in all of that understanding, it reveals this nature of Jesus' vulnerability that he's willing to show up and to take on meaningful risk with the least of these, with those that likely would not reciprocate, with those likely that wouldn't even understand or comprehend what was going on. Ways that into, or that rather that vulnerability can go, how would it go in the world? Well, as we considered last week, light tells the truth about everyone and anyone, right? It's it's indiscriminate. Light doesn't discriminate. Light tells no lies. It tells the truth about us, our nature, and about our condition, but it also tells the truth about Jesus, his work, and his character. And different Christian traditions, you can tell a lot about a Christian tradition by the way that they deal with light, about the way they they deal with truth, if you will. They deal with it differently. In other words, only certain things get lit up, or light shows only certain things in certain different church traditions. They only light up part, perhaps, of the condition of Christ, or part of the condition of human beings. See, many conservative folks and traditions focus on individual sins and therefore only on the work of Christ to save souls from hell. And correspondingly, many liberal people or liberal traditions within the church focus on systematic sins and only on Jesus' love and restoration of the world. And so if we identify with one of these prevailing movements or prevailing traditions, we have to acknowledge that the light actually exposes more than we see in our limited tradition. That the light exposes more of who God is and more about who we are. See, true light doesn't discriminate. This is why it's so risky. This is why it's so costly. You can't control light. You can't tell light where to shine and where not to shine. Just expose this part of my heart, but not that part. Just expose this part of my community, but not that part. This part of my family's tradition, but not this part. Are, Are you with me yet, church? I love to think I can control light. I love to think, yeah, I like this part of Jesus, but not this part. When light shines in the darkness, darkness does not overcome it. That means that light tells no lies. Light shows up everywhere. And that light, John is telling us, was coming into the world. And he begins to unpack this next. Look at verses 10 through 11. He was in the world and received him. So Jesus is now in the world. He's shining in the darkness of this world. He can be seen amongst his people. He can be known. He is God among us, with us, for us. The light is revealing the truth about God himself in a crystal clear way that has never been demonstrated or disclosed before, in real space, in real time. Yet what's John say? The world didn't know him. 
And his own people even didn't receive him. See, in the flesh, Jesus makes himself known, but he is not known by the world. In the flesh, Jesus makes himself receivable, relatable, welcomable, if you will. But his own people didn't receive him. In other words, in his vulnerability, Jesus is rejected. In this, we begin to see the cost, the cost of vulnerability. Through the incarnation, God exposes himself to meaningful risk in a way he had never exposed himself before. In a way where he could not be rejected in the same way before. To be sure, many people may or may not have believed or obeyed God in previous generations, but now he was coming closer than ever before. Now his light was exposing more of himself than ever before. See, in his vulnerability, he is not known. He is not seen by everyone. So what's that mean? Well, first John says that the world didn't know Jesus. Again, world is about the created order, people and their lives. Jesus steps into the created order, the world, and the world does not know him. Really, it doesn't recognize him as Lord. Like the, like the two on the road to Emmaus that don't see and recognize and savor who this man is. He's not seen for all that he is, all that he has revealed himself to be. Secondly, he says his own people didn't receive him. You see, Jesus did not just generally enter into humanity, sort of detached from any family or people. He entered into a particular family, into a particular cause. And yet, William Barclay says that his own people gave him no welcome. God established a nation. He founded a people of Israel to be a spiritual family, yet the family rejected the father's son. It's one thing is vulnerable with your family. When you tell them the truth, you let them see your whole self. Jesus does that. Jesus exposes himself to meaningful risk within the world, but also within his own family, his own people. And he was unknown and he was unwelcome. God actually knew this was going to happen. He told Isaiah generations before Jesus showed up, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He created the world and was unknown in the world. He established a family. He wasn't welcome in that family. They all hid their faces from him. Of course, this lack of understanding and reception would eventually result in God in the flesh hanging on a Roman cross. So it was not simply that they didn't show him love or make him a meal. It's that they said, we want to kill you. That's the cost of vulnerability. But there's even more for us to consider. See, if light shines for all kinds of people, even shines in a world right in our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson would say, then why would we not all want to know and receive that light? Jesus. Perhaps we even look back on this story and just go, man, if I was there, I'd have received Jesus. I I would have really had that hospitality thing on lock. We would have been ready for him, right? It's hard to comprehend how you would reject this man who comes in real space, real time, loves the least, the last, and the lost. Why would we not want to receive that light? You know what I mean? Why didn't the world, his own people, even you and me, why don't we want the light? Well, Let's just put it this way. Jesus was not surprised. In John chapter 3, if you'll turn to the left just a couple of pages or just a couple of paragraphs, John chapter 3, verse 19 through 20 says this. And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Why don't we want to know the light? Why don't we want to receive the light? I love the darkness. We love the darkness. We don't want to be vulnerable, you see. Another aspect of the cost of Jesus' vulnerability that we instinctively know, there's something about vulnerability which is generative, meaning that it demands that we respond in kind. When someone steps into the light, we know the right, the loving, even the human thing to do is to reciprocate by stepping into the light ourselves. We have to resist that urge to stay in the dark. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. Remember, the true light does not discriminate. It reveals Christ and it reveals us. To know God, we have to be willing to be known by him. To receive God, you must be fully received by him. This is why we love the dark. It makes a promise to us. Darkness promises to protect you. It promises that your woundedness does not have to be exposed or known, that the weakest and smallest, most frustrating, annoying, and shameful thing about you, you can keep in the dark, and the dark won't tell anybody. This is what it whispers to me. I don't know about you. It says the light is what's going to hurt me. Vulnerability is the thing that's going to tear me down and tear my world apart, so I'm going to stay in the dark and protect whatever fantasy I believe is better than truth and life. Church, I realize we usually have a really good reason to be guarded. Vulnerability is costly. Many of you I know, I've sat with you, have scars from moments in relation, have the choice. You were simply in a vulnerable situation and someone didn't take care of you as they should have. They manipulated you. They simply ignored you or acted like you were the problem. You felt unknown. You felt unwelcome. You felt despised and rejected. In that, I just think, if nothing else, we ought to pause and to say, isn't it amazing that the God of the universe says, I want to identify with you in your most vulnerable, weakest, and most painful moment? Many times, I think we belittle religious uh, sentimentality when it comes to holidays like this. Right, that we forget that ultimately, I think why this story is so powerful about a God who comes in the flesh is because he doesn't just play the sentimentality game. He actually receives you in your brokenness. He shows up in the brokenness. We don't have to be happy because it's Christmas, in other words. If something is sad, you can be sad. If something is not right, we should be angry over that, even on Christmas. Because that's how the Son of God shows up. He shows up in real, actual vulnerability. If we're still walking through pain, you don't have to put that in your 2023 to-do list, right? We can actually be real and authentic about that because the Son of God came for that. He didn't come to throw a party. He came to resurrect the dead. He didn't come to just make us all happy. He came to give us real life. And real life tells no lies. And have to. See, I think what darkness tells us is that we don't need truth in order to be beautiful. We don't need it. We can just put on religious makeup everywhere we go and look, we got it together. You want to come to my church because we're real happy. We got t-shirts that even say it, right? That's what I want. I just want that joy, that kind of joy that actually has to flee 
though, when real darkness shows up because it doesn't have a comeback. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of that. I'm tired of living that way. I'm tired of being in a community, in, a, in an era where we just talk about vulnerability in this sort of plastic kind of sense and not actually look at the Son of God in the flesh. He says, I actually want you in your brokenness, in your folly, in your foolishness. I want to draw near to you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. And we have numerous reasons of why to stay in the dark, in isolation and secrecy. What's it look like for us to start to step into the light? What's it look like us for a people to really follow Jesus in this way? How do we live out vulnerability, in other words, in the flesh, in a world and amidst the people who are really unsafe? How do we do that? I think John helps us in a number of ways as he finishes this passage. But to all who did receive him, verse 12 says, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. First and foremost, we'll live with true vulnerability when we actually receive the light, when we walk in the light. In other words, John says, when we receive Jesus. So, have you actually received Jesus? Have you believed in his name? Has he become the centerpiece of your joy, of your affection, of your hope, as Paul would say, in life and in death? Is he your savior? Have you confessed your sins and know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness? See, safety only comes in his name. We might say because Jesus was vulnerable, salvation becomes possible. When we are saved by Jesus, we are safe in Jesus. Let me say that again for the people in the back. When you are saved by Jesus, you are safe in Jesus. Therefore, no matter what risk or cost or pain or suffering or trauma you may endure in life, no matter how vulnerable you are, ultimately, we are being healed and we are healed. We are safe in Christ. You are not broken in him. You are whole. Protected. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to fear the dark anymore. You don't have to fear fear anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. To be sure, others will not know you. Even those who claim the name of Jesus. But Jesus will know you. To be sure, others will not welcome you. But Jesus will always welcomes you. So the fruit of Jesus' vulnerability is your salvation. The fruit of his vulnerability is our salvation. The unknown one knows you. The unwelcome one welcomes you. The prophet prophet Isaiah goes on to say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are what? Healed. Healed. See, through his vulnerability, we are made safe. He takes on meaningful risk so that cosmically you never have to again. Your future is never in jeopardy again. Your hope is never in jeopardy again. Your joy is never in jeopardy again. Your peace, your assurance, your salvation, your life, the scriptures tell us, are hidden with Christ. As the old hymn goes, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This world can't touch what is covered by Christ. 
more precisely, through Jesus' vulnerability, we become a family. After all, he's the eternal son of the heavenly father. See, and though his own people rejected him, his father never did. His father never rejected him. He did not reject us, but actually remained open to us. Notice, those who receive and believe in Jesus become children of God. To receive Jesus is to the world is true. To receive him then is to step into the light. As John writes later in his correspondence, he says in 1 John 1, 7 through 9, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Justness. You see, it's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, because the true light has come into the world, because Jesus was vulnerable, we actually have fellowship with the Heavenly Father. The one who was invulnerable became vulnerable so all of us who were exposed to eternal risk could be covered and protected in Christ. John even says we have fellowship with the Heavenly Father. We have fellowship even with our brothers and sisters. We can, in other words, be a family. And families are meant to be safe. It's meant to be loving and honest. It doesn't mean we won't hurt each other, right? In some respects, because we are a family, we are going to hurt each other. Do you know whose forgiveness I have to ask for more than anyone else? My wife. That makes no sense. The person I love most in this life, who I am closest to in this whole world, is the one I have to ask forgiveness from the most. Not only because of the probability of our interactions, right? It's not just a math equation. But that's what happens when you're in close proximity with one another. When you're a family, something's going on. Well, we're going to hurt each other a lot. It's not because we have permission to hurt one another. This is about what happens when we're close with one another. See, family is often close enough to hurt us. Some people who are just out there on the international worldwide webs, they never hurt me because I don't know them and they don't know me. They say all kinds of weird stuff, whatever. I think it's wrong, it's dumb, it doesn't hurt me. But if you said it in my house to my face, I would be deeply hurt because we're family. See, we have expectations, we have obligations and promises that have been spoken or maybe even unspoken. Yet we also come into our family with wounds that were already there. We've been vulnerable with others in other ways. We look at our family even for healings and sometimes trying to help with a wound means we're going to touch a wound or hurt you even more. What I'm trying to get at is that what I would love to tell you is that if we're all just vulnerable, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really healthy. It's going to be really nice. We're all going to be happy and we're all going to feel really good about being vulnerable. We're not. Vulnerability is hard. It is costly. This is why people don't do it. This is why we reject the light. It's like, oh, I tried that once. I gave it a shot. Darkness, though, doesn't hurt like that. It doesn't yet. See, C.S. Lewis talks about the only way to never have your heart broken is to lock it up and let no one ever touch it. But when it is locked away, it calcifies, it breaks down, and it no longer beats because that's not what it's for. It's hard to discern what healing looks like in a messy community like the church of Jesus Christ. 
This is why we must continue to keep in mind with our family and even in our family that this may be the place of our healing, but Jesus is our healer. This may be the community where healing takes place, but these men and women are not your healers. I am not yours and you are not mine. We each only have one healer, Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, no human being is safe. Meaning that no human being fully knows you, fully welcomes you always, and sees you perfectly. See, when we're vulnerable within our spiritual family, we should take care of each other, but we should also know that we're going to hurt each other along the way. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And so we must be very careful to remember that our ultimate safety and trust is not in one another. It's not in church in the square, our leaders, our groups, or the men and women who we gather with today. Our trust is ultimately in the Lord because he's the true light, the text says. He knows because someone won't hurt us or even because they reciprocate. We live vulnerable lives because that's what Jesus did first and that's what he calls us to. You notice that distinction is really important. You see, we're, we're not going to be generous to our neighbors because they're going to reciprocate one day. We're not supposed to confess our sin in group because then they'll have to do it when they've got sin in their life, right? We don't extend ourselves in some way to our church family because we know when we're in need, they're going to help us, right? Our primary motivation when we ask for forgiveness is not because then we're going to wait and go, all right, your turn. You need to ask now because I asked first. I started this thing. You need to ask for forgiveness now. That's not our primary motivation, We aren't even honest about our weaknesses because someone else is going to have to do it next. Rather, we do all of this. We live vulnerably because God in Christ has done it for us. He said, I am the light. Walk in me. We hope for a vulnerable and safe community, but we do not hope in a vulnerable and safe community. We hope for it and we work towards it and we cultivate it And we hold one another accountable in that, but our hope is always placed somewhere else. Our safety and hope is ultimately in the true light, the Lord Jesus. Do you see? The love and vulnerability of others is not what compels us to live in the light. Rather, our vulnerability is first and foremost the fruit of Jesus' vulnerability toward us. He alone keeps us safe because he alone sees you. He alone welcomes you. He alone knows you. See, a lot of times we think it's really powerful to be vulnerable because we don't know how people are going to respond. Jesus was vulnerable when he knew exactly how he would respond. That's amazing. And he welcomes you to this day knowing that we're not a really great ROI, (laughs) right? We're not a really great return on the investment because sometimes we get skittish and we go, I'm going to go back to the dark. I'm going to go back to the dark. He loves you anyway. He loves you so much, that so much so that when he spoke light into the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it, it still hasn't overcome it. And so we can be a people who live in the light as he is in the light so that we'll have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. He was vulnerable so that we could be with one another and with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help in this desperately. because we have a lot of reasons why this doesn't work out and why it's painful and hard. And yet we know the only place that flourishing happens is in the light, where we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, where joy happens and peace, justice, generosity, 
These things don't dabble in the darkness. They don't spring to life in secrecy. Your kingdom comes in the light. And so, Father, I pray for my sisters and brothers. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But, Father, would you more and more teach them, teach me, teach us what it means to be people of the light who don't use the light as manipulation for power or selfish gain, but who walk in the light because it's the truth that sets us free from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. It's the light of Christ that brings healing to our woundedness. It's the light of Christ that exposes the deeper and richer truths of you, our God, who loves and cares and keeps us safe always. We are so safe in you that we don't even have to fear death anymore. anymore. All that's true because you're the true light who has come into this world through your son, Jesus. So, Father, would you help us to simply take you at your word, to be a people who walk in the light, even as you are in the light, so that we have union with you, our God, union with one another as the family of God. And would that light penetrate the dark recesses of our hearts and our city and our world? For your glory and our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.